So I don't know what your experience with uh, the Lord's Prayer is. Some of you might be like, there's a bunch of Lord's Prayers, right? There is, but there's one specific one. And depending on whether you grew up in church or depending on what church you grew up in, what kind of denomination, maybe praying the Lord's Prayer was a regular thing. In some denominations, this is done every single Sunday, every single time you gather gather together. This is taught to be done every single day where you verbatim pray five verses that Jesus gave as, a, as an example prayer. So for some of you, like, yeah, uh, I could recite in King James. If, if I asked for a show of hands, maybe someone could run up and, 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 and recite it right like that. Some of you are like, no, please, no, I can't. Uh, and that's fine. When I was in high school, I definitely couldn't have. And when I remember showing up to school one day, and some of you have been to see you at the poll or are aware of it. It's a thing once a year, every September. High school students gather around the flagpole. I think it's been going on for 20 plus years, I'm not sure. But uh, people gather around the pole, usually a couple of churches get together to do this. And people sing songs, they pray. It's like kind of a short, maybe 20, 30 minute thing, if that. And I wasn't a part of planning it. I wasn't in a church, a youth group or anything. So I remember I would just show up once a year, get off the bus, and be like, oh, see you at the poll day. And because I never knew it was see you at the poll day, I was never prepared whatsoever. I was the kid who'd be like having a t-shirt in September and on a cold, windy day, and be like, oh, I'm good. And then I get there, and be like, oh, it's see you at the poll day. And I always felt compelled to go, even, even though I uh, wasn't a part of any youth group or anything. So I would go, and I would stand there, and sometimes we hold hands and pray. Or, and, you know, it's a pretty big circle, and it's windy at like 7 in the morning, and I can't hear very well, so I don't even know what the person across the circle is saying from me. And I don't know any of the songs we're singing. Some years, somebody thought ahead and would print out songs, and then they'd hand out a printout, and then you'd stand there and you'd sing. Some years, that didn't happen, and, and so I just like, I don't know any, any church songs. Well, one year, people wanted to pray the Lord's Prayer. And if you've ever had to recite anything where you don't know what you're reciting, and we've all been there, especially back in school, you know, and you kind of like slink down and mumble your way through, and you kind of know if you can just mumble at the same pace that everyone mumbles, you know, like people will think you're a part of it, you know. So people are reciting King James, Our Father, Art in Heaven, and I'm like, oh, Father, Father in Heaven, you know, like inching back in the circle. And hallowed be your name, hallowed, hallowed, Halloween. No, probably not Halloween in, in this prayer. Uh, and, you know, I, 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 like, I don't know what hallowed means. I, I, I don't know what anyone's talking about. You know, you kind of mumble your way through. And uh, so some of you may have had an experience where you've known, you've grown up knowing the Lord's Prayer. Some of you might have been like me, standing around the flagpole, like, I'm just going to mumble and, and I'll kind of fit right in. The, the wind will cover up my mistakes. But uh, so I didn't, I didn't grow up with any knowledge of this. And in modern America church 2020, including our own, this isn't something that we normally pray. We definitely don't pray it weekly or anything. It's not part of our church tradition to to get together and pray this every single week. And I think there's some kind of good reason for that. That's because we we don't tend to like any kind of prayers that are more autopilot prayers. And, And by that, I think of the one prayer that I would pray for much of my life growing up. As a kid or as a teen, I started as a little kid, probably like all through high school. There was one prayer I'd pray every night, and a lot of you probably know it. It's now I lay me down to sleep. I pray, Lord, my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray, Lord, my soul to take. Who's ever prayed that prayer? Okay, pretty much everybody. 
So, you know, it's, it's a common children's prayer, and, and it, was, it was definitely something that I didn't usually think about. It was just like, you know, it'd be like drifting to sleep, oh, you know, like I, I didn't pray. And, and, I, and I'd say that prayer real quick and, and then fall asleep. Uh, so it's not something that I thought about, not something I pondered much about. And it wasn't something about me thinking of, like, here's this God that loves me that I can get to know. It was just like, it's a prayer I was taught, and really it's a prayer, at least for me, it was just a prayer about, I don't want to go to hell. Like, I pray that you'll save me if I would die tonight. And, and there's nothing wrong, per se, with that prayer, but, but it, it's pretty limited. I tried to find the, his, the origin of it. It's not really possible, but it it's, seems like it was a tiny selection of a, a much larger prayer. But so that, that's kind of like the, the autopilot prayer I had. And I think a lot of us, when we think of people reciting the Lord's Prayer, there's probably a little hesitancy in anything that we have to do every week or that we're taught to do every day. Because we often think, if it's just some verbatim prayer that I'm going to pray, it's going to be something I'm not really thinking about. I'm really not engaged with. So because of that, I think we've kind of forgotten about it. So I'm calling this the five forgotten verses because I think, one, we've kind of forgotten it, and, and especially in our church tradition of kind of like, you know, we, that's not what we do. But then, on the other hand, even if you do pray this regularly, I think a lot of people forget what they're praying. In the same way, I mean, that you can pray that now I lay me down to sleep. You could open scripture and read a whole chapter to yourself. And, and uh, I would think if you read a whole chapter, you'd eventually engage. But it is possible to, to just read it and not think about it. And I think that these five verses have been so forgotten. The principles that are in these are so foundational to who you are in Jesus, who you can become in Jesus, that they literally will change your life. Who here has ever found themselves? Uh, don't raise your hand for this one, actually. But, but, uh, but you know, you, you probably have thought, like, you know, I, I, need, I need some change in my life. I'm ready for my life to change. And maybe you have a bunch of reasons why. And I don't just say this because like, it's my job to get up here and say that the Bible will change your life. I do believe that. I believe that every time you take more of the Bible more seriously, it does change you. But I think these five verses are so foundational to what living with Jesus means. And the principles contained within these five verses are so foundational to knowing, pursuing, and living a kingdom life that they will literally change your life. Lord willing, not even just change your life, but family, friends that you love and care about, our church, our town, our surrounding community, all within these five verses. Again, not to say they're the only important ones, but I feel like these don't get the credit they're due. So let's dive in, Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 5, actually. So just before the, the verses, because I, I want you to see some context. So this happens in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the Sermon on the Mount is kind of Jesus' biggest uh, collection of teachings all in one go. So my last sermon, I talked about the upside-down kingdom. I talked about how we often think about the kingdom as what we're going to get to enter into when we die and we get to be with Jesus. And we, look, and we looked at Revelation and we talked about how that is the full realization of the kingdom. Meaning you don't get to experience that perfect life now, but one day you will. But what I, I stressed last time is that we actually, if you live with Jesus, are living in the kingdom now. St. Augustine talked about how you live in the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. The city of man and the city of God. So all of us live in the city of man, but also in Jesus live in the city of God. 
You are, this, you are a citizen of both, but your allegiance is to one. So Jesus goes through this, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, and he's looking at all the natural ways people do things. And he's saying, that's not how it needs to be in my kingdom. He talks about lust. He talks about divorce. He talks about greed. He talks about this is what people put all their hope in. Here's what you should put your hope in. This is what people stress about every day. This is the things you really should worry about. He talks about this is, is what people love. This is what, what and whom you should love. This is how people treat each other. This is how you should treat each other. So he's going through this whole sermon saying like, this is how you're doing it, but that's not what the kingdom does. That's man's way. That's the city of man, but in God's kingdom, it's different. So in chapter six, he gets to the idea of prayer. Starting in verse five. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. So you can picture, if you will, a, a Jewish person going down the road uh, in this time. And there's certain times during the day that they would set to pray. And say noon hits and it's time to pray. It, it'd be like walking down the street and, and the guy kind of steps up on, you know, on some stairs for people to see him. Starts praying loudly or putting their hands up. Not that there's something inherently wrong with that, but Jesus is saying, no, no, you're doing that because you want people to see you pray. He's saying prayer is not, he said, in, and in the synagogues too, in their churches. This is the kind of passage that a, a pastor has to constantly check themselves against. Because we can easily make prayer about ourselves or about the people that are looking at us. So Jesus is saying, man, you, a lot of you guys don't even know how to pray. He's, he's speaking to Jewish people, people that are God's people, and he's saying a lot of you don't even know how to pray because you really make it about you. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. A lot of people think based on houses at this time, you probably didn't have many private rooms, so this could have been like a broom closet. So Jesus is saying, like, like look, so that you know it's about you and God, go, go sit in the broom closet. Shut the door, and then you'll know that you're praying to God. And I don't think Jesus is against all forms of public prayer based on all of the Bible, but he's saying, look, you need to check. Is, is the prayer actually about you and God? And to be safe from that, don't do it so that people can see you. Run and get in a room and then close the door, and then you'll know who it's about. So that's how he's talking about how Jewish people pray. He changes it here and says, when you pray, verse 7, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask them. There's a lot of different things this could be talking about, such as uh, people back then and even now who believe in uh, either a pagan god, an idol, or some sort of version of new age sort of spirituality where it's kind of, you know, you clear your mind, and it's all about you, or you recite certain things, it's a certain mantra, a certain chant, and that connects you with God. Jesus saying like, look, there's no magical words. I mean, at that time, there's probably people trying to use magical incantations, almost like spells, and if I can just say this right thing, if I, or maybe they're babbling on for a long time, twisting God's arm. Jesus saying like, look, this is simple. There's no magical connection of words. There's no spell-like uh, sentence that you say, then God does what you want. If you think about the Old Testament, uh, in I think 1 Kings, Elijah, the prophet, God's prophet, is facing off against, on, on Mount Carmel, the prophets of Baal. 
uh, I think it's pronounced Baal, but if I say that, people look at me weird. It's like if you say Aldi instead of Aldi's. I say Aldi and my wife judges me every time. She's not, she's a nursery. I looked over there. Uh, but uh, she's not here. So, uh, but they're praying to the prophets of, of, of Baal and, um, you know, the, the kind of, if you don't remember the story, Elijah sets up his altar, the other prophets, the pagan ones, they set up their altar, Elijah throws water on his, and he's like, I'm so sure that, that God's going to uh, light mine on fire when I pray that I'll even throw water on it. So they start praying, uh, the, the, the pagan prophets, and their false God never lights theirs on fire. In fact, it says that they start cutting themselves. Like, man, maybe if I bleed, maybe if I literally drip blood, it says that they're taking knives and they're gashing themselves and, and, and they're yelling out and they're screaming. And they're like, maybe that'll get God to listen. So that's the context in which Jesus is telling us about prayer. He's telling, look, there's Jewish people that get it wrong too because they make it, they're praying to the right God, but they're not really because it's kind of more about them. And he's like, and then all these pagan Gentile people, they get it wrong because uh, they just don't understand prayer at all. Verse 9, here we get to the actual Lord's Prayer. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. In Luke 11, we see a parallel passage, which is almost identical. Luke 11, verses one through four. He was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Sins is different there than debts and the other passage but meaning the same thing for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation depending on church background you may remember another line to that in the king james says for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen that's not in most modern translations because we don't believe it was actually what jesus said uh, we found more manuscripts over time, which is the dusty old scrolls that have the original languages on them, and they're closer to when Jesus was alive. As we found more of those over the last 400 years since King James, uh, we can't find that Jesus actually said that. It might have been an early church prayer because it ends on the evil one, and someone might be like, hey, can we make that prayer sound a little nicer, you know, and kind of wrap it up a little better? And then that might have been a church tradition, and then maybe a scribe added in there. I don't think it goes against any biblical teaching, but we don't believe it's actually what Jesus was saying. So be safe, we, we, we've taken that out. Sometimes you'll have a footnote or whatever. But. So I, I want to go through the Lord's Prayer, kind of petition by petition, each statement that Jesus is making. And first I want to say, though, that there's kind of like some people say, should we pray this verbatim, meaning word for word, should, or, or, or should we just like, you know, is this just a teaching on prayer? I think it's both. I think it can be both. I think there's times where you might want to pray this verbatim. It's words of Jesus, and we can always pray God's word back to him. But uh, I think it is a template. Jesus saying, pray like this. And as we go through each of these statements this morning, I, I want you to think, do you pray like this prayer? When you pray, does it sound anything like what Jesus is praying? Because maybe there's going to be certain parts that you're like, oh, yeah, definitely. And then there's certain parts like, eh, maybe, maybe not. So first, Jesus says, our Father in heaven. 
This is more revolutionary than we give it credit for because we hear it all the time. I'm not saying Jesus was the first person ever to call God his father or to say that God is the father. But Jesus saying this was pretty revolutionary to a lot of people because a lot of Jewish prayers and writings at the time were, were, were very, very much formal. So a lot of people weren't comfortable with you know, saying God is our father. That's just, a, that's just a distance they weren't comfortable with. Jesus, on the other hand, shows up and in Matthew's gospel refers every single time to God as his father with only one exception that I know of, and that's on the cross. Where in his dying breath, he quotes, I think Psalm 22, memory serves, where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So all these other times he gets to say, God's my father. At one point he says, Abba, father, which people usually say means daddy. I don't think it's actually the translation. I think it's more like dearest father, precious father. So, uh, but the one time he doesn't get to feel that connection is when he felt your sin. When he felt my sin is the only time that he doesn't get to say, God, Father, God, he says, my God, my God. I think this is crucial because I think we all intellectually know, we nod along, we're like, yeah, I get it, God's my Father. But do you actually feel and understand that in your heart? Because that changes prayer completely. I think one of the reasons a lot of us struggle and, and, and I have my, myself in prayer is because we, there's a lot of times where we can't see and feel like praying to God is like praying to a father. A lot of times we're like, okay, he's creator. He's big. He's, he's like incomprehensibly big and I'm going to pray to him and, and it feels hard to, to relate. Like, like how do I pray to a God that's this much bigger than me? So maybe you feel like prayer is like drifting in space and there's nothing to hold on to and you don't even know how to do it. Prayer at other times might feel like you're praying to a judge. I've had prayers like this where you know you have to talk to God about something. Or you just go to pray and you're like, man, all I can think about is my shortcomings. And then a lot of us are like, ah, I mean, I'd rather do anything else right now. And then we go do anything else because the idea of, of sitting before God can be terrifying. So maybe we think it's like a judge in a courtroom, a king in a throne room, and you're like, I don't know if the king's going to stay off with his head. I don't know how he's going to react to me. So sometimes that is what honestly keeps us from praying more. And he is a judge. He is a creator. He is a king. But do we look at him as a father? Did you come to church this morning thinking, I get to sing to a father who loves me? Yes, creator. Yes, king. Yes, judge. But also a father. Romans chapter 8 talks about how in Jesus we, can, we get to say, Abba, Father. That we've been adopted and we get to say that. So Jesus says, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Honoring God as holy or, or the older language is hallowed be your name. It, it means that your name is special. Your name is different. It's above everything. I think it's a lot bigger than not just saying OMG. I think it's a lot bigger than not just taking God's name in vain. But it's saying, all right, he is a father. And like a kid in need, I can run to him. But I also remember that he is higher and different and holy. Unlike anyone else I get to talk to. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Question is, when you pray, do you look at what you want and say it goes below what God wants? Not that they will never match up or... Not that God won't stir up things for you, but there's going to be times where the way you want to spend your time, your energy, 
resources isn't what God wants you to do. There's going to be things that you chase after that God doesn't want. And will you pray and say, your will be done? When I think of the on earth as it is in heaven, you know, we think heaven is this place where God's will is perfectly, fully realized even right now. But do we pray in expectation that God will powerfully do something? What I'm afraid of is that for most of us, faith is a comfortable box. Maybe that box has grown over the years. You've busted out the walls. You've expanded it. It's gotten bigger and, uh, and more things are happening in the box. But it's still a box of your making. So you're like, all right, what are my limitations? What am I gifted in? What, what makes me uncomfortable? What makes me nervous? What frustrates me? What stresses me? All right, okay, I know all those things. Then I make all the walls for my box. And then following God is going to be whatever's in that box. I'll serve in the church. I'll do ministries outside the church. I'll pray as long as it fits within the box. But I don't see that in this prayer. I see a dependency on God showing up. I see a dependency that God will do something supernatural. When we, when, if we're actually aligning our prayers saying, God, we want you to do in, in, on earth what you do in heaven. Look, we can build services and programs and, and I can plan camps and retreats where I can fill up everything in a way that, that I'm like, okay, uh, if I can just entertain everyone the whole time. And then if God shows up, great. But I'm afraid that a lot of times we, we don't actually extend ourselves in our lives and our ministries to actually need God to show up. I prayed before this, if God's presence isn't here, then I've wasted hours of my time. You've wasted the hour to be here. Do we actually live lives that need God to show up every day? Does serving in some sort of ministry for you actually look like you're depending on God to show up and do something supernatural? And look, I'm not going against the idea of, uh, I, I believe in spiritual gift tests and, and knowing our giftedness and knowing certain limitations so that we can be wise and discerning about who can do, who should do what. But I think sometimes it gets to such extreme that like, no, that's not, no, I got a box. Don't make me get out of the box. I'm, I'm happy in the box. The box continues when Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. I think this echoes um, some words pretty closely of Proverbs 30, 7 through 9, if we can bring that up. Two things I ask of you, don't deny them to me before I die. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning, profaning the name of my God. One half of that, I think a lot of us can pray pretty easily. If I ask, who wants to come up here and pray that you never have so little in your life that you want to lie and cheat and steal? Like, oh, yeah, sign me up. I'll pray for that. That is within my box. I got it. But the other one I feel like is a little tougher. Praying that, God, I don't want so much that I don't depend on you. I think both, I think this applies to our resources and how we live our lives, but also in how we conduct ourselves in, in seeking to see the kingdom realized. Meaning on a daily, on a day-to-day -day basis, do you need God to provide? Do you need him to show up? And I don't have a prescription for 10 ways to make sure you live outside the box because God has called us to different things, blessed us in different ways, so this is going to look different for different people. But maybe we're so comfortable that we never need to depend on God. 
And sometimes that means we turn to God and we're like, man, God, you've really blessed me and I need to be thankful for that. But when I also look at this prayer, I'm worried. Have we hedged our bets so much or or do we just do whatever feels comfortable to the degree that God doesn't really have to show up in our lives? It just seems like a bonus. Next, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. This isn't an optional part of the prayer, unfortunately. Uh, We might feel sometimes. It is assumed that we will continually go to God for forgiveness. And look, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're a little quicker sometimes to pray about God forgiving the other person. And God, you really need to, you know, you really need to get them to listen. If you would soften their heart. And look, sometimes you need to pray those prayers. But uh, I think we need to just as quickly come to God repeatedly saying like, God, man, forgive me. In the same way that Jesus says, take the speck out of your eye before the log and the other persons. Next, Jesus says, and do not bring us into temptation. Which the question might arise like, well, what if I don't pray that? Does God tempt me? Does God bring me in temptation if I don't ask? Thankfully, that's not the case. If we can pull up James 1, 13 through 15. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God, since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own desire. Then after desire, he has conce- he, uh, after desire is conceived, he gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, he gives birth to death. Throughout the Bible, we see pictures. Paul talks a lot about this. People that, that know that the, tri- the time of trial, testing, temptation, Jesus in the desert, uh, the whole book of Job, there's plenty of times where people are tested and under trial where God is sovereignly using it so that they'll depend on him. But the temptation itself is not from him, which is an important distinction. Because a lot of times we want to say, why God, why? Look here, it's from our own sin from our sinful nature, from our sinful mind, our sinful heart. And it's from one other place as well. Jesus references that when he says, but deliver us from the evil one. Now this word, uh, this original sentence can be translated, deliver us from evil, or it can also be translated, deliver us from the evil one, which can kind of be tough because it's like, is it evil or evil one? Well, biblically, all evil comes from our sin and ultimately from the evil one. And if you look throughout the gospels, Jesus speaks about hell pretty much more than anything else. And he talks a lot about casting out demons, spiritual warfare. He sends people to cast out demons. And this isn't something that's as popular today. It's something that I think we've really forgotten and overlooked today. We live in what's in many ways, not only a secular society, but a naturalist society, meaning there has to be a natural explanation for everything. You know, if someone's healed, well, there's a natural reason. Maybe you went to to the doctor and, and, and had this inexplicable healing and, and maybe depending on who they are, they'll be like, oh, I don't know, that's amazing. Or they, 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 they grasp for straws. So society always tells us there has to be a natural way to understand something. But a kingdom life acknowledges that there is an enemy, an evil one, Satan who comes against us. Back in 2011, there was a, uh, probably the most controversial book I can think of in my time in church called Love Wins. And this book was uh, a very provocative, like, YouTube trailer. Uh, the, the author and pastor, I won't bother mentioning his name, but uh, he, he's, he's walking around. He's asking all these questions. He's saying, like, would a loving God do blank? 
And kind of the whole point of the book is, would a loving God actually punish people? Could a loving God send people to hell? Is that actually love? And the whole idea is to get you thinking like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe that's not love. And, and I haven't read the book, but read countless reviews, and, and I did read excerpts from it, and I've heard the guy's sermons and stuff, so I, I know his, his concepts. And, and he talks about, and basically the gist of his book, and this is why it was so controversial, is everyone will be saved through Jesus. So regardless of what you do, now you may go through, you may go through a hell that's basically a purgatory, meaning you'll be punished for a time, but eventually love wins, that's hence the name, and Jesus saves every single person. Again, you don't have to go through much of the gospel before you see that falls apart drastically. You see that's shattered into a million pieces within just reading one of the gospels. But it, it, but it, it was provocative because it's asking these questions and people are like, oh, you know, that sounds nice. Like on the, on the surface, in our fallen understanding, we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, sign me up. So some people are jumping onto this and like, oh, that sounds good. And there's one more, more uh, smaller, more subtle line that I don't think many people picked up on. Not many of the pastors at the time. I mean, I heard this from another pastor, but I, I don't think many of the writings said this. But there's one line in the book where he says, Satan, whoever or whatever that is. And I don't know exactly what he was trying to get. Maybe best case scenario, this guy was trying to say, well, there's just so much we don't know about Satan. But I think given the context of the rest of this guy's teachings, he's getting at the idea of, let's push that aside. That's an old part of this faith that we don't need anymore. And I think, if we're honest, probably a lot of us would like to do that. Sign me up for the supernatural if it's a good thing, but I'd rather the natural reasons for the bad. And look, I don't want to overemphasize anything, and I think we should be leery of anyone who overemphasizes. Satan is not your primary problem, it's sin. You look throughout the book of Romans, throughout the Bible, the, 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 the main reason you would die apart from Jesus if you don't give your life to him is because of sin. But we also can't get through the Bible without seeing the importance of spiritual warfare. Anytime I've, I've gotten a lot, maybe not anytime, but a lot of times I've gotten ready to preach, I've gotten ready for a week of camp, I've had inexplicable sort of lose my voice right before, um, you know, other kind of random sicknesses that hit me. And I'm not saying they're all that. Um, some of it's just the sinful world we live in. But like I'm feeling fine and voice, wake up voice completely gone. I had to ask someone else to preach, get someone else to fill in in a way that seems too coincidental. Much worse, there's been times I, I've, I've been getting ready for, um, you know, to speak at a uh, youth group or sermon on a Sunday, whatever, and I felt great spiritual attack. Bouts of anxiety or depression, things that, that, that uh, to a level that, that I hadn't felt in, in other times. Memories of past sins, lies, uh, like in my head about, about who I am, and, and, and I think the enemy will usually use your past sin to be like, hey, remember that? You, you really think God's cool with that? You think you're forgiven about that? I mean, to a chilling effect. But I don't say this so that we can live in fear. I, when this has happened, there's a lot of times, I, uh, you know, like I, I've, I've sent messages out to the elders. I've had them pray with me. I've prayed with Brian. You know, I, I have some other pastors I know. I always have people lifting me up in prayer. Jesus, when he sends out the disciples and tells them they're going to have to cast out demons, I'm paraphrasing, but he tells them, look, you're going to go out. Even the serpents won't be able to harm you. You're actually going to cast out demons, but 
And this is an important part. He says, don't rejoice that they listen to you. Rejoice that you belong to the one they listen to. I'm paraphrasing, but... So sometimes you'll see people that say they're experts in this and, and people will want to dive in and learn everything. I, I, I don't, over, you know, don't focus on this too much. Sin is the primary problem. But if we pursue Jesus to love him more and to love our neighbors as ourselves, spiritual warfare will come. Not just if you're a pastor, but anyone. Maybe physical or mental attacks that you can't explain otherwise. And again, it's not a fearful thing. It doesn't have to be. I mean, there, I guess there's times I've been afraid. I reach out to these people, but, but, but it's, a, it's a simple prayer of relying on Jesus, not you. You pray, Heavenly Father, I, I bind the enemy. That's a biblical term. You're wrapping them up, and, and I, I cast them out. I rebuke him. Again, the idea is Jesus in your name, and I want this. Send this out. We, at, at 1030, most Sundays, when we... We remember most Sundays, we get the elders together between services, and we pray for several things for everyone that walks through the door. But one thing that we, without fail, will always pray for is your spiritual protection. Knowing that when you come in here, you are seeking to know God more, and knowing that the enemy won't like that and will come against you. Knowing that when you're in church and you're praying or you're worshiping, the enemy will come against you. Knowing that as you seek to take a step to God, you'll be tried to be drugged back. Maybe with, again, maybe with some lies, some sort of mental attack, some sort of memories of, of, of your past or, or even the things you struggle with now. That is a reality. A reality that we often don't want to accept. But I think there's much freedom in accepting that and praying for that and saying, God, deliver me from the evil one. So what we're seeing throughout this prayer is what does it actually look like to live in the kingdom? And we have to ask ourselves, is this how we pray? Do we pray that, that, that we come to prayers and like I'm coming home to, to see dad. I'm coming home to see my father who I get to pray to. I get to. Not I have to, I get to. And, and do we come praying and saying like, God, I need to depend on you. And, and, and maybe like I don't know what it means to depend on you more, but you can show me. If there's any part of this prayer that you're like, I don't even know what that means, go to God. Look, if, if you're ever under any sort of warfare or any of these other prayers, you're like, I, I need help with this, we will pray with you and go through scripture with you. But the, so I'm not discrediting that, but the ultimate answer will always be, did you go to Jesus? And are you still going to Jesus with this? Are you still going to God saying, God, I need you? I need to depend on you. I don't know what that looks like, but, but, I, but I, I want to be out of my box. I want to get out of the box, but I'm going to need you to do that. We have the band come up. So we're, we're looking at this prayer and, and we're asking ourselves, maybe you're like, okay, uh, yeah, I probably have been under something that was, that was either because of my sin or maybe even spiritual warfare. Yeah, go to Jesus with it. When I was under some attack with some of these things, I, I called up a, a mentor and a pastor friend of mine, and I'm explaining to him, and he's like, look, I don't know, that might just be like a, a flesh thing, uh, your, like something you got to work on. And I was like, well, I, I, and sometimes it is, sometimes it's both, sometimes it's a tangled web of the enemy using your sin. But I was like, well, the answer's the same, right? He's like, yeah, go to Jesus. So when you look at this prayer and, and you're like, I, 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 don't, I, 
I, I know I should be more dependent. Uh, I know I should be relying on, on supernatural power of God. But, you're like, but maybe you're like, I'm, I'll be honest, I don't know what that looks like on a daily basis. I, I don't know what it looks like to have a kingdom supernatural life. Go to God. And if you feel like every time you go to God, you can't get to the point where, where, where you feel the, 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 the love of the Father, then all the more reason you need to go back. I've heard a pastor say before, we, we press through duty to delight. We get so close to God and we cling on to him that, that, that eventually we see him for who he is. Creator, yes. Judge, yes. King, yes, but also Father. So we're going to take a little bit now and uh, play a few songs. And if, if any of this doesn't line up, if you're like, yeah, I don't know, that's not what my prayer life looks like. Tell, tell God that. Repeatedly, and he will change your heart. I, I, I don't say this lightly when I, when I honestly believe that if we took these five verses more seriously, it would change your life. And you might be like, I've already taken them seriously. Well, it'll change your life if you take them more seriously. It'll change our church forever if we take this more seriously. If you live uh, increasingly a kingdom life, the, the people that you love and care about that don't know Jesus, Lord willing, it'll change them. The community of people that, that, that need our help in so many ways, it can change them if we take it more seriously. So we're gonna play a few songs and like we've done the last few weeks, if you wanna sit and pray the whole time, kneel down or sit in your chair and pray about any of this, that's great. If you wanna come to the altar, that's fine. Uh, if you wanna just stand up and sing the whole time, whatever you need to do so that you can cling to God. I'm, I'm gonna pray and then we'll go ahead and worship. Heavenly Father.